The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Um, we want to welcome you guys into the first episode of The Situation Room. And Gabe and I are really excited to be joining um, the Ravens Film Study podcast group. Um, and we, you know, I think you've heard both of us do some different podcasts with Ken from time to time. We've got a podcast that we did at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com as well. But we are excited to be joining the Film Study team. Um, and part of what brought us to the Film Study team is this whole we want to bring a different look to kind of how we're approaching and what you're talking about when it comes to the Ravens games. And, you know, we've got a lot of people that are breaking down individual plays and players and kind of looking at things in a nutshell. And I think you've got to break down plays and you've got to break down performances and individual guys from time to time and look at how they've done individually. Um, but the more Gabe and I talk about the Ravens, the more we see that, it's a big picture, right? There's a lot that goes into a game. There's some big moments. There are things that set up those moments. Um, there are things that have let you to be exploited in those moments. And we think there's room for um, a podcast out there to talk a little bit about what those situations are like and how they come up and, and what's been going on in the games in a larger kind of game flow issue. You know, what do you think, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, I obviously, I think that the NFL game is a very complex um, sport as it's big reason why we love it so much um, because teams, you know, they, they scheme up these, these plays and they scheme up these different context, contextualizations of, of why they're putting these plays on film. Sometimes they put things out there just so another team can think of it as like a tendency and they'll take advantage of that tendency. Um, I think we saw the chiefs do that really well last week in a game where they, where they schemed up really well for what the Ravens did. Um, so I think we kind of want to take a look at that and see what do the Ravens do in order to um, attack an opponent in a certain way? What are some specific plays that they that they put together to kind of take advantage of something that um, another team might be doing? And we kind of want to break down those plays and also focus on kind of plays that really had a large outcome on on the game. And a lot of times that's going to be a turnover. Sometimes it might be a third down situation, might be a fourth down situation. It might be a play call on a first and ten. It kind of varies um, from game to game, but that's kind of the idea of, of what we want to do here. Yeah, totally. And so each week we're going to start out talking a little bit about the game overall, give you guys some feedback on Sunday or Monday about, you know, what we saw in the game and, and what we think about the team overall. Then we're going to take you directly into the situation room. We're going to try and break down some plays. We're going to try and I'm going to try and post some videos on Twitter of the different plays that we're, we're looking at. So you guys can see the same thing that we're breaking down as we're doing that. So, you know, you can follow us along on Twitter and then we're going to talk a little bit about an underrated player of the game. You know, we talk about, you know, you get all the three stars, you know, Ken does an awesome job kind of giving th the top three defensive players out and kind of giving them high grades and breaking down their plays. And we really encourage you to listen to him in, in the Ravens film study defensive podcast to hear about those breakdowns. But Gabe and I are going to try and earn some guys that, that had some influence on the game that would be a little off 
off the beaten path and the ones that you aren't going to, you aren't going to hear get those, those high accolades, but, but still had an impact on the game. Yep. And I think first we're going to just talk a little bit about what happened in this game, because obviously, you know, the Ravens won pretty handily, I think against the Washington football team. Um, there wasn't anything that kind of stood out as, you know, more outside of what we were expecting in this game. Um, I think the Ravens were up by at least two scores throughout most of it. Um, I think a lot of people were a little disappointed in the outcome. People, I think, wanted to see maybe the Ravens run the ball a little bit more consistently. Um, it started out slow, too. The game did. I think that there was no scoring until basically the end of the first quarter. A couple of long drives that petered out and didn't really do much. Um, but I think as the game progressed, especially getting towards the end of the second half, and, and this is something that I think the Ravens have done pretty consistently, at least in the non-Kansas City game, that they kind of have to start out a little slow and they kind of get their momentum and they can, you know, reel off a couple of touchdowns in a row and take a lead. And then they just kind of been able to set, set on those leads and, um, you know, make a game look pretty non-interesting because they're, they have a two score lead and the other team can't really get back into it. Yeah. You know, if you look at the final score, Gabe, I think you're right. There's not a whole lot to complain about. Ravens were at one point up 14 to nothing with a little bit less than what I think um, like early, early in the second quarter, the Ravens were up 14 to nothing. And really at no point after that was this game in any meaningful danger. I think part of that is because Dwayne Haskins is not a great quarterback. And I think that the Washington football team only had a couple options of what, where they were really going to be able to hurt you on offense. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, color me in that group of Ravens fans that was not happy with this win and was not happy with the Houston win. I was more happy with the Cleveland win than I was either of the prior two. But I think the same problems are rearing their head for this Ravens team, which include a couple things, right? On offense, they just in in moments cannot play in to, to down and distance, right? And it seems like they're always in the wrong times looking for big chunk plays in the wrong moments and the wrong ways. And they're leaving themselves way behind the sticks and way to the disadvantage of what their offense is built. And then they don't have rhythm, right? It's like if, if on second and nine, you get a four yard gain and then you get a six yard gain on third and six. Like that's the, that's the Ravens offense we saw last year. And those third and sixes were more like third and fours and third and threes. And all of a sudden you can do a lot of things and you can show a lot of looks. So far this year, the Ravens have not put themselves in a position to even, as you were talking about earlier, showcase this concept, these concepts or flash things to be real or not real. I mean, and we're going to talk about the second and one play where Lamar takes a big sack, but the Ravens, you and I have this long running joke. And for those of uh, any of you who have watched football with me and Gabe, we have a long, long standing joke that when it is second and short, it is death taxes and the Ravens running the ball. And I don't think that you and I have made that joke this year because the, the Ravens haven't been in second and short very much this year, right? The Ravens have just not been in a situation where they have been able to punish other teams because they've taken what's open. They've taken what's underneath. They've looked for some of those moments when they're there. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that when it comes to the plays, but when it comes to the offense, I've just been really disappointed that they even, they haven't either been, if they've been busting big plays consistently, great. I have no complaints, but they haven't been, and they've been missing on them regularly, and they haven't been setting themselves up to be better on them. And I don't know, like, you know, it's it just feels like they aren't in sync, and they aren't anywhere near the offense they were last year. Like, like it's not like they're just. I've been saying for the last few weeks they've been just missing a little bit, but this game, I think it was obvious that it's not just missing a little bit; they're consistently missing a lot of it regularly. So I agree that the run game isn't where it was last year. And I think that's the big reason, for instance, why you don't see the second and one, because that was a lot of times the Ravens would just, you know, have a, a, a running play first and 10 because they ran the ball in first and 10, like more than any other team in the NFL last year. And but they did that for a reason. They were very effective with it. So you would get a lot of these second and short, second and manageables. And then that really puts pressure on the defense because in a second and short, you can have Lamar either pass the ball or you can have him scramble or have a design run. And you have lots of different options, and it's really hard for a defense to defend that. So this year, they haven't been having those those first down chunk yards being picked up in the run game. It just hasn't happened. They haven't gotten, um, what, for whatever reason, I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, Marshall Yanda 
is a big reason why not having him in the middle of the offensive line um, definitely puts a damper on your ability to run the ball. It's, it's I think, something that the Ravens are going to have to overcome over the course of the season. You know, obviously Tyree Phillips is a rookie. I think he's probably getting better as the season's progressing. So there's maybe some hope that by the end of the year, things will start clicking a little bit better. Um, that being said, I think that they're trying to be a little too cute at times with, with their play calling and their play design, and they're not executing on a lot of the play designs. You see a missed block here or there. Um, actually, it's occurring pretty frequently. You see, you see some missed blocks, right. especially from like the tight ends, from, from Rick Harvey's missed a few key blocks. Um, I feel like there's just some, been some miscommunications. Um, and I mean, I'm thinking about a play. There was like a little, it was a weird play. So it was a Lamar Jackson. Um, he faked a, a, a kind of a toss play to Dobbins. And then he saw like two defenders in his face. And then he did the toss to Dobbins. And it ended up being like a two-yard play. If he had just tossed the ball to Dobbins, he had three blockers in front of him. And the whole side of the field was like, it was probably going to be like a 20-yard gain. I don't know why he didn't toss it, but for some reason, I don't know if there was just like a confused, like he's not looking at me or they didn't like ha have a, the right vibe. I'm not sure what happened there, but if that player, if that play is probably executed, that's a big play, but instead it goes for a gain of two. Um, and I'm not sure who's at fault there, but there's something that's going on that doesn't look right. So I feel like there's just kind of like working through these little kinks, but I also see a passing game that has, I thought, is well ahead of what the passing game looked like at this time last year. Um, I think Lamar Jackson has been very good passing the ball downfield. He's finding Andrews, he's finding Brown. Um, you know, he doesn't quite have the hookup with Boykin yet. We've seen some ups and, up and downs there, but I think he's looking really good, especially when he's like outside the pocket and he can kind of survey and use these precision passes and he's picking up 20 to 30 yards at a time downfield. And I think that's what's kind of the offensive engine that the Ravens are using right now. It's the passing game more so than the running game. And that's a little yeah. strange. I mean, I'm totally on board with you there. And I think that, look, Lamar Jackson has made some big plays down the field when he's had to, and those have been great. But let's go back to that Dobbin sequence that you're talking about, because I know the exact play you're talking about. It should have been a pitch or, or kind of like a – it should have been like a backwards pitch. So it's a run to Dobbin's left. The worst part about that play is that the reason the play doesn't work is because Willie Sneed cut blocks his guy and he legit cut blocks him and they both go down to the ground and Lamar tries to run it up the middle for God knows why his reason. And then he pitches it to Dobbins. By the time the ball gets to Dobbins, the guy that Willie Sneed cut blocked has stand it up and he hits and he, and he hits Dobbins on the play just before that, though, it's a right end play to Dobbins and Ricard totally whiffs on the block on the outside again. The Ravens are. The Ravens need to stop using Patrick Ricard as a wide end blocker because he's missed at least three or four of them that we've seen this year, and it's not working. And Greg Roman needs to see that in space, Ricard cannot ID a linebacker or a safety and block them effectively. But yeah, he's not Hayden Hurst. That was at all. Hurst was really good at um, blocking last year out in space. He was really good at you know finding the the uh, what what was a linebacker he said or safety and really taking them out of the play. I think Mark Andrews has done a pretty good job of that this year. He's he's done pretty well um, blocking it in the open field. And I think the Ravens wide receivers, for the most part, do a good job of blocking downfield. But Ricard is not that guy. He's a guy who's going to you know take out a linebacker at the line of scrimmage, and he can you know he can take out defensive linemen too at times. But he's not going to do well in space. And maybe they need to you know find somebody who can come in and do that, or they're going to have to adjust their play calling to to figure out how to get around that. But these are kind of little things that are that are definitely going to have to be worked out. Totally. And this is the stuff that's driving me crazy, though, because these are the things that the Ravens should be able to see on tape. These are things that are pretty clear and pretty obvious that aren't working, and hopefully they get them out of their system. But two weeks ago, we were talking about Ricard missing blocks in the exact same way um, in other games. So I, I hope we're not going to see that. My, you know, the other problem for the Ravens that, that I found, and the Ravens were really bad on third down last week against Kansas City, but if you go back and kind of scroll through the box scores, the Ravens have been pretty mediocre on second down as well. And and they were actually, like, if you look at the third down numbers, they were actually okay against Washington, but it felt like the long drives and when, when Washington really had it going, in a lot of cases, they were just converting on these second downs and that the Ravens go into this kind of, 
I don't know if it's like base cover. We're not going, we're not going to, we don't have to worry about it because it's not third down yet mode, but they let a lot of drives get extended before they got to third downs, before they had a chance to do that. And it seemed like the Ravens third down package was pretty good. But up until then, I, I mean, you had drives where, you know, I think the first drive doesn't count because it had a fourth down conversion. Um, but they had three other drives where, you know, the Redskins or the Washington football team had at least nine plays on those drives. One resulted in a missed field goal. One was a touchdown and one was downs because it was inside, you know, inside the 12 yard line in terms of where they got to. Um, and to me, for an offense that is as mediocre as this and where you only have really the running back and McLaren as the real threats for this football team, the Washington football team. It's incredible to me that the Ravens weren't just doubling the running back of any kind and McLaurin and letting everybody else just do their job. And there would have been no offense from Washington. And so I guess I guess the frustration from myself and other Ravens fans when they fall into that bucket is how did you not know that McLaurin was going to be running slants and they were going to be running screens to the running backs all game? And how do you not force them to take that away all game long? So um, let me answer that question for you. Yeah, please. <laughs> it's because the Ravens were up three scores, and you're you're going to let the opposing team run slants and run the underneath routes and let them, you know, throw screens to the running back because it doesn't matter when you're up twenty-eight to ten. That's when the, the Ravens let up a seventeen-play drive that ended up in a turnover on downs because the they're like, okay, you're going to take time, you're going to take a six-minute drive and go down the field, and and if you score on us, okay, we're still up two scores. Um, but then they tightened up um, once they got in the red zone. Obviously, they got a big sack that changed the, the outcome of that drive, I think. But it's kind of like a, a situational thing. And they, so I was wrong about this game. I thought that the Ravens would do a lot more exotic looking things on defense in terms of, um, you know, bringing blitz pressure, bringing, you know, kind of deceptive blitzes that they tend to do with Wing Martindale, especially against quarterbacks that you would think are going to be. Um, susceptible to that kind of thing. And I think Haskins was susceptible to that, but they didn't feel like they need to. And they did probably the one of the most vanilla games I've ever seen out of the Ravens defense under Wing Martindale. They rush a lot of four men. They kind of mixed up a little bit of man and zone coverage. But for the most part, it was just, okay, we're going to, to you know, we're going to try and stop, get you to like third and medium. And then we'll try to stop you on third down. If you convert a short pickup, okay. But we're not going to let you score all the way down the field and, and score points on this. And outside of a couple of turnovers on short fields, the, the Ravens let up seven points. So I don't think it was, um, you know, a, a big issue for, for the defense to let up some of these long drives, especially when they're leading by a couple of touchdowns. So you, you have a high reverence for Bill Belichick. And you've talked a lot about how you think he's a great defensive mind. He would never have done this. He would never, never in a million years let the best player of the other team, whether he was up two or 200, have the kind of game that Gibson and McLaurin had in this game. He would have taken them away and he would have made Haskins do something different and he wouldn't have cared what the score was. And that's the thing that bothers Ravens fans in this instance. This was a game where the Ravens needed to come out. They needed to put their throat on the Washington football team. They needed to stomp them out and win 40 to nothing and say, this is us. This is who we are. This is our identity. And this is our bravado. And we got the complete opposite of that. We got that's, a what, fans want to see. that's what fans want to see. That's not how football teams are generally played or how games. Like, like I said, I, the Bill Belichick led Patriot teams when, when Tom Brady was at his prime, did this to everybody every week, the bad teams, they beat down, they beat them into submission and they never let anyone think that, that their greatness could ever be interfered with ever. Well, I don't see how you're watching this game and seeing that the, the other team was in it at all. Like, well, the talent I, gap between look, the Ravens, the Ravens won this game by a lot of points, but the Ravens did not play the, play to the potential of what they are capable of in in nearly the least. And that's my objection. In, in the same way that if I had someone that worked for me that did just good enough, it's like wearing 17 pieces of flair. I don't want 17 pieces of flair. I want you to wear 40 pieces of flair, right? And, and it matters. Like like these guys. Like I I want I want Patrick Queen screaming open. On, through a gaps to like take down Dwayne Haskins as hard as he can to make him pay. I wanted like the the free Judon blitzes. I thought Judon had a great game, right? Like I thought Humphrey had a great game. I want I want Wink Martindale doing putting his best guys or the guys that need that confidence boost in a chance to do that. I want them to say, hey, we shut down Terry McLaurin. He's the only guy that can do this for them. And sure, okay, maybe maybe the Ravens don't need to do that, but the Ravens have not shown 
to me that they can get up for big games. And if they can't get up to beat down the little guys, then I'm not sure that they're going to be able to get up when they need to, when they need to, to take away the other guys in the other situations. That's why you do it when you're up big, to show that you can, so that your guys have the confidence to take away those guys when they have to. And the Ravens didn't show that here, and that that's my objection. I mean, I think that's fair, but I also don't think that they needed to do anything really ex- exotic in this game, and they showed that they didn't need to, and still won handily. So um, I think we can agree or disagree on the, maybe that defensive approach to this one, and I think we will see games where they are a lot more kind of exotic, and they, they do a lot more in terms of deceptive numbers of blitzes and things like that. Um, but this game, I think they just wanted to control it, and they did. And that's and probably... It short, and it was a short week. It was a short week. You know, short week, Ronnie Stanley was out, maybe a little banged up and a little butt hurt from the Chiefs game. So, you know, I can I can see it a little bit. But, you know, I, it just strikes me as... And I've said this last year, too, and, and I've, I've longed for Terrell Suggs to be back because I think the Ravens miss a little bit of leadership on the field. But I'd say that this is my, my hot take, and I, I will totally accept the hotness of my take on the Ravens and this game, um, is that there isn't that kind of like aggressive leadership of we have to do better and be the best. Um, and Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs were guys that were like that, and they didn't just do it with how they kind of gave their rah-rah speeches, which they did. But they, they put it on the field, and they did it even against lesser teams. And, and and Ray Lewis had great games against bad teams all the time. Uh, so did Terrell Suggs and so did Ed Reed. Um, and so which guy in this instance, and I, I, you could argue Lamar had a great game this game and he did have a very good game. Um, but which guy is the Ravens guy that's going to step up in those moments, you know, when they need to. And, and if they're not going to prove it in the big moment, you know, it's just going to, it's just going to, it's kind of like blood in the water for other teams. It's going to let a team like the, the Titans next year or later this year, if they get into the playoffs, rev themselves up and say, Hey, we're going to get in these guys' heads. We've seen it in X, Y, and Z games, and maybe they don't have it. Um, and so hopefully that's not what happens, but that that's, that's the hot take worry in me. And I, and I recognize it's hot. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's, it's not really a concern, especially at week four of the regular season. And I, I kind of want to just get into this game a little bit more closely because we're kind of getting um, borderline, you know, 105.7, the fan here. And <laughs> um, I'm not sure we need to get into sports talk radio mode, but um, yeah, let's jump into the situation room. Yeah, so, so the first play, I think, is it actually a defensive play? It's, it's the fumble. Obviously, the, this is a big play in the game. The I think both teams had exchanged punts. They had kind of gotten drives that on a few plays, maybe a few yards down the field, but fizzled out. Um, the Washington football team gets the ball back. Um, they have a first down that came on. Um, it was a it was a nice little kind of underneath route to Gibson, the running back, and Humphrey misses on a, on a tackle, and it allows them to get about a twelve yard game. Um, the next play is a one yard loss when Brandon Williams blows up the play and Queen gets the, the tackle for tackle for loss. And then this play happens. They do, um, the Ravens only bring four people with pressure. They drop seven to coverage. And um, McKissick was kind of coming around on like a wheel route and he's, or not a wheel route, on like a a motion. Um, And then he's open in the flat. Um, Haskins gets in the ball and Humphrey ties him up and strips him. And that's the um, first turnover in the game. The only turnover that the Ravens forced in the game and it was a big play, I think, because there was really nothing that was going on in this game prior to that. It's the end of the first quarter, nobody had scored. And then the Ravens get the ball back in you know, enemy territory, and the game tends to shift right there. What do you think yeah. led to this, this play, and why, why was it important? There were, there were some really awesome things that happened on this play. Um, that the Ravens kind of got away from later or changed up and didn't do. But I think the first one was there's a crosser at the 30, at the 30 yard line between McLaren and somebody, I'm not sure who the other offensive player was. And um, I think it's Averett coming across and LJ Fort does a tremendous job to get under the pick. He, they, they know that they're going to try and rub him out here. 
That's exactly where Haskins is looking. LJ Ford is watching Haskins' eyes. He gets underneath the rub and sticks with McLaurin on the crosser, and he prevents him from making that throw. I think that that made this play happen or made this play possible to begin with. But the second thing is, Marlon Humphrey is, by the by the way the crow flies, if they're in a straight line away from each other, 10 yards away. <laughs> 10 yards away from McKissick when, when Haskins let go, lets go of this ball. But by the time... McKissick catches the ball. Humphrey's five yards away. And by the time he takes a step forward, Humphrey's right on top of him. And he is doing everything he can to strip the ball out. Um, And you see the rest of the Ravens kind of running to them there. And, And I do think that Queen coming in on McKissick made him a little bit less ball secure. Um, But let's talk about Marlon Humphrey as, uh, as a playmaker. Like he is just incredible. Yeah, he's great. And the, the reason why I mentioned um, the previous plays before this one was because there was there was this um, play, as I mentioned, the first play of the drive where he misses the tackle. And it, it should have been like a two-yard gain, and he took a bad angle, and he got beat by Gibson. I don't think he's, you know, had properly measured Gibson's speed coming across the field. And I think he was angry, and he was like, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make this play happen. We saw a similar thing last year with, with Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, he got beat for a touchdown, and then he comes back on basically the same play. And instead of getting beat for a touchdown, he lets the, he knocks out the ball and turns over um, the football, and he makes an incredible play that was actually maybe a game-changing play for the Ravens' season at that point because they were, you know, it was week five. They had had some struggles. Um, they had lost two in a row, and they might have lost that game if that play had not happened. The season might go a totally different direction. Okay, we're getting off track here. But Humphrey obviously is a playmaker. He makes this play happen. Like you said, he he got to he closed space so fast. He is just and he's always looking to strip the ball. He almost had another one in this game too. Um, that's just kind of what he does for the Ravens. And and you know he's kind of like a Peanut Tillman, you know, from the longtime Bears cornerback who just always goes for the ball. And that's what Humphrey does. And you have to, if you're a wide receiver or a running back and he's coming near you, you have to know that to wrap that ball up or get down because he's going to be pulling the ball out. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think that your example of the Pittsburgh game is a good one in the sense of to answer my question from earlier, the guy that's going to step it up when you need a big play to happen on the field these days is Marlon Humphrey Um, and Marcus Peters to some extent too. Um, And I think that you'll see Marcus Peters make some more plays soon because Humphrey is, doing so much that teams are going to just look away from him. Um, But in some senses, Marlon Humphrey baited this strip and this play from Haskins to begin with, because he is so far away from him there. um, And he is so kind of distant from the play. I I think he did. It wasn't just the route. He, he was, he was closer to 15 yards away from Gibson on that, on that route. And it was also Gibson was also kind of on the, more on a flat and trailing on that play. So he had a kind of head of steam where this one, you know, Humphrey was able to kind of line him up. I think that if McKissick is still running, then Humphrey needs to be closer to him to be able to make that play. But he reads this one perfectly. Um, and he's the playmaker the Ravens need. You know, he 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 steps up. He's been incredible in being in and around the ball when he needs to be. And this one turned this game around. I mean, you said it earlier when we were kind of reviewing the game. It was pretty stagnant up to this point. And this was the wake-up call the Ravens needed right in that moment, both, I think, on, on both sides of the ball, and, and it was good to see him make that play. Yeah, and, and the next play of the game was also a really big play, and this is obviously after the Ravens turned over the Washington football team. They got the ball, and I think it was about the 35-yard line, 40-yard line, and they basically took a shot right away. And this play was interesting for a couple of reasons, and, and I'm going to break it down here. So... It's a, it's a play-action fade, kind of like a zone read. They look like a zone read. And Lamar kind of runs to the to the, to the the side like he does on a lot of the zone reads, and there's a linebacker who's following him. Now, the, the Ravens are kind of doing a levels concept where they have two tight ends. One's coming on a short crosser. One's coming on a deep crosser. I think this play is actually designed to hit Andrews on the intermediate route, but Andrews gets um, bumped in coverage, and he's a little behind. So Jackson doesn't really have anybody who's – that open and he has a linebacker bearing down on them but Hollywood is coming open downfield um, and he sees him and he throws a pass that it's hard to see exactly what happens because we haven't looked at all 22 yet but it's in between probably two defenders and Hollywood's right there and he comes down with it and then he has a little bit of room to get yards after the catch and comes and gets it down to basically the half yard line 
Now, this, I think, is interesting for two reasons. One, because the Ravens did something that I've wanted to see them do, which is show that zone read action and then throw over it, um, which is something I think that I've been asking for for the first three weeks because we've seen this zone read and teams try and, and take advantage of it, and they'll do this, this um, end linebacker scrape where they kind of vacate the middle of the field. And in this instance, I think that the Ravens were like, okay, if you're going to do that and send that linebacker after Jackson, we're going to hit you. And I think they could have had Andrews if he didn't get um, kind of bumped in coverage. But this one was exactly what I think you want to see. You want to show that zone read and you have the boot action and you have open throws downfield. I think it was well-designed and executed play. Yeah, I mean, that's a great breakdown of this play and exactly what happened. I think that there were two other things that I thought happened here that were really effective. One is Tyree Phillips was pulling on this play. So the Ravens sold it wasn't just a it wasn't just like a zone action run, even though that's how they sold it. They also had the guard pooling. And and Pittsburgh has done this historically in, in really effectively where they pull the guard, but it's a straight up passing play. And that's what that's another way to really self play action, right? Like when you are seeing these guys, and I think we saw this up to this point in the game, there are a few plays before this where once once certain keys happen, you basically saw the safeties for the Washington football team break from 10 to 12 yards at the sticks to to the line of scrimmage as fast as they could because um, they were trying to key off a certain thing. So I think that that's part of what you get in this play action package. The other is Mark Andrews actually, and the Ravens just don't do this enough. Mark Andrews cuts off, whether it was, I don't know if it was a deep crosser or what it was supposed to be, but the levels concept is exactly what it was. And he just kind of drifts to the middle of the field and he just stops in the middle of the field. And this is, this is what the Ravens should do every play. <laughs> there should be a Raven running to 12 to 15 yards past the line of scrimmage and stopping in the middle of the field, right? Because you get this kind of like black hole effect where defenders have to migrate their way to that depth of the field and that defender. And so you, if you if you kind of pause the play right after Lamar throws it, you can see a, or like a defender running from the 22 or I guess the 18 yard line to the nine yard line where Brown catches it. Cause he got sucked all the way down to Mark Andrews. That's his deep assignment. If, if Brown kind of runs that deep in or the post or the curl or whatever you want to call it. And then kind of sinks to that middle spot, Mark Andrews controls that guy to him. And Andrews, like you said, 53 basically rubbed him off his route. So he wasn't open, but Andrews continues to drift up the field and he re- continues to get that help. And 53 rubs Andrews and then his eyes are locked on Lamar Jackson. Like he's not going to let Lamar Jackson run for a first down there. And so he gets sucked in. So then the guy behind Andrews knows that he get com- needs to come up and defend him. And that opens a perfect lane for Lamar to throw to Hollywood Brown. And that's what that, that's what makes this play work. Um I loved this play as well. The Ravens did something else in this play, though, that drives me absolutely crazy, which is that they did this, like, they do this, like, fake handoff where they have Lamar handed off to his left, and then they have him turn around. They have him literally turn his back to the play, loop around and around to the outside. Now, there's no reason that this shouldn't be kind of like your run-pass option look where he just hands it off, keeps his eyes facing forward, and then loops out, right? In addition to the fact that the Ravens cannot seem to block the edge guy whenever they run this play. Like, like it seems by design that they're not going to block the edge guy. But if you look at this place, play after Tyree, like Phillips pulls, like it looks like, I guess it's, I guess it's Fluker over on that side. And then Phillips are literally not blocking anyone. Skur is blocking 94. They're both just kind of standing there. They're, and 59 has gotten behind both of them and is wide open for that. Like, who knows what happens on this play? If they're going to be a better throw or if Brown can get into the end zone, if the, maybe the same exact thing happens. But Lamar also then has an option to run in front of him. But you've got two blockers and a guy seven yards in the backfield running at Lamar. This is the same play that we saw the sack on by J.J. Watt in the Houston game. This is the same play when the Ravens are inside the five-yard line later in the game and Lamar is in the end zone. They had to call the timeout on first and ten or second. They had first and ten and they had the second down. They had to call timeout. And the Ravens run the same kind of formation. And the same thing happens where on the boot, there's a guy in the backfield and the Ravens don't have any chance to make a play. And it was a total waste of a snap. I, I, the Ravens have got to take this one out of the playbook, if you ask me. Just keep Lamar's shoulders to the line of scrimmage, and I think you can have more success. Yeah, I, I'm not sure why they, they like to leave that edge defender unblocked. Um, 
and I think part of it is selling the play a little bit. And you, and I think the hope is that Jackson just has the athleticism to beat that free defender. And he was doing that a lot last year. Um, I, but I think, you know, maybe teams are starting to kind of figure out the angles a little better too. Um, so I, I definitely think, and we'll talk about that second one maybe a little bit more later, um, but there's a similar kind of concept there where you have a guy who's just basically unblocked and you have somebody who can block him. So maybe you should block him. Um, it wasn't even that second down play. It was a different second down play. <laughs> um, but re- regardless, I think for the most part, we like what they did with this play. We like kind of the zone read action here. We like the the, the route concepts. And I think this something low. I definitely want to see a little bit more of. Um, let's go in a different direction now and talk about something that happened on special teams um, two, two times, actually. So for the most part this year, we've been seeing Justin Tucker kick the ball through the end zone when he kicks off. But in this game, they did a little different approach on a couple of different kickoffs where they basically kicked it to, what, around the two-yard line. But Tucker was able to get some air underneath the ball, and it helped set up some good field position. Yeah, Devin DuVernay is one of the best gunners in the league. Um, if you if you guys haven't watched him, if you get a chance to, and once we get the All-22, I'm going to try and see if I can pull some tape here. And I know there's some other guys out there that have posted about this. He is a fantastic guy when he gets up the field and he is running down the field. So on this first kick by Justin Tucker, when the guy uh, – I forget the name of their returner. He catches the ball. I think he's on the, like, two-and-a-half, three-yard line. By the time he catches the ball, Duvernay is on the 20. <laughs> Right. So Duvernay's already passed the line of kind of where the touchback is. And if that's what you're going to get when you're kicking off, then the Ravens absolutely should be doing this every single time. Um, and they're able to pin him back inside the 15 because he's got to run, you know, 12. Well, I mean, he's got to run 22 yards to catch up to Duvernay, who's already five yards deep into that. And that's going to be a win win for the Ravens every time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little difficult to do every single time because there are definitely going to be times when, for whatever reason, the coverage isn't quite as good or you know, the other team blocks it up better. And then you're putting yourself at risk a little bit. But I think this is something you want to throw out there a couple times a game, kind of like a, you know, like a change-up. Like when you're, it's like a, it's like a pitching reference. Um, just to show them something different, um, you know, make the returner maybe like think a little bit, panic a little bit. And then you can get, you know, pick up 10, 15 yards in field position. And that's something that can be relatively important, and especially in a bigger game. Um, I think that that's something that I'd like to see a little bit more of. So Yeah, you, you can definitely <laughs> lull. Yeah, you, I mean, you can def- I think there's some lulling. I, like the first one, I think, was more effective than the second one because Tucker had kicked so many out of the end zone up to this point in the year. Like, I, I think that at some point they were just kind of like, oh, they're just going to kick it out of the back of the end zone. Um, but the second kick, if you watch it, you know, the receiver catches it closer to the six or seven yard line. Um, and Tucker didn't get quite as much leg under it. I think that speaks to what you were talking about, which is, I mean, Tucker is a fantastic kicker, right? Like, like, you know, we're not going to, and the ball got went back to, I think the 24. So they still, they still had a positive, positive kind of field position in terms of what a touchback would be. Um, but it's just so hard to kick it that deep, that consistently, and be successful every single time. So I think Tucker had another kick where he kind of booted it a little bit, but at least it was to the far side. Like it was between the numbers and the end zone. And so it just rolled into the end zone, Uh, but you're going to have some bad kicks. So you might as well mix it up. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that's something that, you know, we'll see. Sorry, there's some noise in the background. Um, I think that, one of the most exciting plays that we've seen of the Ravens this year was Lamar Jackson and his 50 yard touchdown run. Um, and there's a few reasons why this game, or this play was interesting and exciting. Um, I thought it was really well, um, I think th- thought up in the condition or in like the play call for the, that specific down distance, that specific part of the field. And it was kind of like the perfect, you know, circumstances coming together. Do um, you want to take us through what happened on this on this run? Yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, this is the play that at least like Ravens offensive, you know, nuts have been begging for it. So the Ravens line up in five wide um, and actually have Dobbins split 
outside of Hollywood Brown and they motion him inside. So the inside linebacker trails Dobbins outside of Hollywood and then they motion him back in and he follows him in. So it's very clearly man. You've got press on the inside of, you know, and, and a lot of teams will do this where they leave the outside cornerback to the far receiver in kind of a three wide set um, at the sticks or kind of deep. And then they'll run press on the two inside guys. And so they motion Dobbins in, they run a play action and I don't know what the edge guy was doing on this one. He, he totally blew his assignment because he's probably supposed to stick with Dobbins here, but the edge guy blows by both Jackson and Dobbins in the wrong way. You've got Bozeman then pulling to the right in this play. And basically you've got one guy to Lamar to stop him. You've got the safety that needs to get onto Lamar and stop him. And you just see some tremendous blocks across the board here from, you were talking a little bit about Andrews getting blocks in space, Snead getting a block in space here. Um, and then you got a, just a money <laughs> stiff arm from Lamar on that safety where he just shoves him right out of the way, running full speed and sprints it to the end zone. Um, but what I loved about this is that the Ravens do run power. They did. They, I think they knew what the end was doing in this instance. And they did use a good job of Lamar taking him out of kind of what it was because Lamar looks like he's going to hand it off and run to the left. And I guess maybe this is the one benefit of kind of that little twirly boot is that maybe he thought that's what Lamar was going to do. And so he totally undercuts it to the other side to stick with him. And then Lamar is just absolutely gone. Yeah, a couple of things that you mentioned that I really like about this play. Um, so it was third and four. Um, and you have options in third and four. But for the most part, when the Ravens are going, you know, they started in four wide, then they motioned Dobbins back um, to be next to, to Jackson in the shotgun. But, but generally you think, pass right i think that's why the defensive end like you said he like kind of like ran up field um but obviously the ravens did a thing where they like we're going to use lamar's legs as a weapon here and it was spread out so it was basically it, they weren't able to load the box and this is where i think lamar jackson is at his best when he you give him a crease or a lane and then you just let him go and obviously there was some important blocking downfield like you mentioned andrews had a great block Fluker had a really good block here on, at right tackle to kind of drive his guy and, you know, create that lane off the line. Um, and then it was just, you know, the wide receivers blocking downfield. And then Lamar Jackson, just being Lamar Jackson, he, like you said, he stiff-armed Landon Collins into oblivion. And after that, it was he was kind of just like looking around to see if there was anybody nearby, and there, and there wasn't. So this was a, a beautiful play design, beautiful execution. This is the kind of thing that I think we want to see happen on a regular basis for, for the Ravens. I think I've been saying all season that they look best in 11 personnel. And that's because you don't have the stack box and you have Lamar Jackson with the ability to use his legs. He can pick up um, chunks of yards using his legs. And then he can also, you know, throw the ball downfield and you have lots of receivers who can threaten the different levels of the defense. So I'm looking to see something like this happen more frequently this is on tape now and teams are going to be aware of it. So maybe that's going to allow for some, for some things as well to happen and play action and kind of, you can like, you know, show this, but actually then do like a pass option off of it. I think there's just a lot of things that the Ravens are going to be able to build off of this kind of play design. And I'm glad that they put it out there and obviously it worked to perfection this time. I think we're going to see it a few more times. I think it's going to keep working because it's hard to defend. The other thing I love about this play is it's north south. Um, the Ravens ran east west so much against the Chiefs. And and the Chiefs, I think the Ravens just got in their head against the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a really good east west team because they're a really good screen team. They're really good at going, making you think we're gonna go right and make you go left. We're gonna, you know, do those kind of things. Um and, and I think that speaks to the Ravens being too cute, but this is the opposite of cute. <laughs> this is a power quarterback run where you're going to let your best guy run by their best guy. And we're going to take their defenders out of this play. The combo block from Fluker was tremendous, right? Like he, he down blocks, gives Tyree Phillips the help to seal his guy. And then absolutely gets to the next level and just takes the linebacker out of this play um Andrews does I mean Landon Collins is in a lose-lose position here because Andrews is blocked up on him the whole way and then lets him go and then and then he's kind of trailing chasing Lamar Jackson and you know he's gonna look silly when this happens um I don't I don't know if it was Montez Sweat whoever the end was though on this play is the guy that played it wrong um he definitely could have made it a much harder decision for Lamar Jackson 
Um, but I think that the part that you bring up that is absolutely right is um, this piece where the Ravens have a thing that they can build on now. Like, like this is something that like they can show this look, they can show, like they can show that this is what they want to do and then they can build on top of it. And, you know, there was another play later. This is my biggest fear that, the Ravens are going to go to these five wide sets where they are in 11 personnel and they are going to have the advantage and teams are just going to play zone. And these con these running concepts or these route concepts from Greg Roman are just not going to be good enough. Um, so check it out on my Twitter guys, but there's another play um, that came on a third and long where the Ravens run wide and basically nobody runs open. You know, you've got, they've got DuVernay that's kind of like open underneath in the slot, but you know, there's nobody that's giving Lamar a good look to play. The line kind of seeds a little bit. I don't think this is completely on them. Lamar kind of runs a little bit into the pressure, and that happens. Um, we can talk about this separately. I think Matt Skura may need to sit down. He's been a guy that I wanted to see come back, but I think he's also played pretty poorly so far this year, and the Ravens could do better from the center position. Um, but if you look at these route combos, you see two guys again that are, this is a third and long on the 43 yard line. And you see two guys that are short of the sticks on this play. Um, you know, and, and one of the, like Duvernay's route, which is on the hash basically leaves the guy on the out to the left in not great a position. Lamar's going to have to make a perfect pinpoint throw. If this guy kind of straddles the gap, which, which the defender is doing. And Lamar just has meaningfully nowhere to go with it. And then on top of that, he's not going to be able to run with it because the Redskins are in zone. And so that's my concern is that teams are just going to drop into zone. It's going to take away the Lamar run. And the Ravens don't have the route combos to take advantage of these zone concepts. So the Ravens do. Um, they, they have shown some ability to attack the zone. And maybe we can go to that the next play here. This is the Mark Andrews' uh, second touchdown. Um, I think this is all, this is a really well-designed play as well because they, they do – so this is out of 22 personnel. So it's an interesting um, kind of personnel that the Ravens don't use that much, but I think it's something that can be useful. Um, in this case, they have three routes basically flooding uh, the right side of the field, and you have Ricard coming in motion. He's going to be kind of like the wheel route. Um, he turns his route out to become more of like a – like a a short out as kind of like a, you know, a dump off kind of option for Lamar. But then you have Boyle going up the seam and then you have kind of more up the middle. And then you have Andrews on, on the other side, like a little bit more on the actual seam. And that forces the the safety to have to cover one of those. And then the other side of the field, you have the wide receiver running a nine round two. So you have three verticals basically. And against uh I think this was the Redskins were in cover three. I'm not 100% sure, but it looked like cover three. And it's really hard for them to to match this. And they can't, basically, because Andrews and Boyle are both, one of them is going to be open. And Andrews is the person that gets left open in this case, and Lamar finds him for the perfect touchdown pass. And it's a great concept and a way to attack. You know, you're, you're forcing the defender to make a choice between the two players and um, with the way that the the, the routes are stacked, um, it, it's just perfectly done. And that's the kind of play that you need to have in your book when you know a team has tendencies, like, for instance, against the zone here. Um, and it's not going to work every single time because it does have to have a walk-through ball and you do have to have, um, you know, kind of the perfect timing. But I think there are more plays like this that could be in, in the playbook that, that we'll see as well because – you know, it, it worked really well and it's against that coverage is going to be a very good play to have. Yeah. I, the other thing I liked about this play was, so this is the opposite of the previous plays we were just talking about where the Ravens are in these five wide formations where the Ravens are trying to spread the field, trying to take advantage of kind of really stretching these guys out and a power run out of a five wide set is going to be a lot more effective because there are going to be a lot more lanes to run through. In this instance, you've got the opposite of that. The Ravens are in a two, like you said, 22 personnel. I mean, you could argue this is 13 personnel, right? This would have been Hayden Hurst last year running the motion from Ricard. Um, and and you've got him sucking this up a little bit. But um, yeah, you've got Andrews on the seam. It's a decision for the basically the deep out guy and the center fielder guy. I think that my big concern about this play is in the long term, you're going to have the deep third corner that's playing to the outside on this play. 
he is going to be in a position to just play deep and he's going to take that away from Andrews and you're going to need the guy on the crosser running kind of the wheel route to the sideline. You need to be a guy that can actually make this play. So part of what makes this work is Patrick Ricard is essentially at the, like the 20 yard line kind of running this crosser. And that sucks both the linebacker up a little bit and it keeps the deep kind of third guy honest. I think that if somebody's watching this on tape and you see a similar route combo with this exact same grouping of personnel, you're going to see the third, like the deep third guy, just not pay any attention to Patrick Ricard. And you know, if you're not caught off guard by by it and you've seen it coming, um, it's not a play that is going to be quite as effect, as effective later in the season, unless that's a different receiver that's kind of running the corner that can turn that into a wheel route and then make the the like outer third guy pay short of the sticks if he kind of follows through with Andrews. But this is a concept that you can run out of any formation in any way. I like what the Ravens did in this formation. Um, but I think that, you know, this play in particular in the future could be better defended against the same personnel grouping. Yeah, that, that's true. But you can also do this kind of play with different personnel. Like it doesn't exactly. have to be 22. But it kind of, they probably weren't expecting, you know, three verts being run, you know, two with your tight ends. And that's that's kind of why this person it worked for this personnel grouping because, it, you know, it, you do something that's not expected out of 22. Um, but and, this is what drives me crazy about Greg Roman, right? Like Andy Reid will run this concept with three different guys in any formation all the time, right? Where it feels like for the Ravens, Greg Roman needs certain situations and certain guys in certain places and certain ways to do this. But the Ravens don't need this to be Ricard, Andrews, and Boyle to run this. This could be Duvernay, Boykin, and Brown running the exact same combos just out of a different formation. So hopefully... Hopefully we see more of this style of offense from the Ravens in all kinds of different personnel packages. Yeah, I think that's something to definitely keep an eye out in the future. Um, I want to talk also about a play that when the Ravens are on defense that might actually be the as good as the play designs I thought we had, especially with Lamar's touchdown. This might be my favorite play design of the entire um, game, <laughs> but it was unfortunately a play called by the, by the Washington football team in which they had this um, – they had the screen. This was the, so the 40 yard um, screen pass to Antonio Gibson. Um, and he's lined up as a wide receiver. Um, and the Ravens are, they're, it's third and 11. So they're actually one of the few times that they're bringing a lot of pressure in this one. They bring five guys. Um, and they have three guys on three receivers on the other side of the field. Or, yeah, I think three receivers on the other side of the field and two receivers on this side of the field. And it's a short pass to Gibson. He has a blocker and the wide receiver next to him who takes out Chuck Clark. And then you have basically three offensive linemen who are washing out Anthony Averitt and nobody else who can block the receiver. And he has such an easy way to run all the way to the end zone. Um, I have a, a screen grab on Twitter that I posted and it's, it's basically Gibson within like the five Ravens outside linebacker slash defensive lineman in a row running behind him. And it's kind of hilarious because they're all just like, they were all rushing to get after the passer and the lineman just let them go. And the ball came out before they get there. And there's like this huge open side of the field that has Gibson is running downfield. Fortunately, I think somebody was able to come across and make a play um, to keep him from getting into the end zone. But it was a big pickup, and it was it was probably, I think, incredibly well-designed play. It caught them in the, the Ravens in the, the wrong play call. Um, but I just love how they set up three guys on one side of the field and then isolated this, this kind of perfect little screenplay on the other side. And it, it worked out for them. They ended up scoring a touchdown on it. And I think it made 14-7 at this point. So still, you know, a one-score game after they scored. So this was a big point in the game. Obviously, the Ravens were able to rebound from it, but it's something that they need to be cautious about when you're talking about bringing the pressure. And maybe this is something, one of the reasons why they didn't bring a lot of pressure as the game continued because they got burned by it on this one play. Yeah. So I think this play in a nutshell is, <laughs> is, is my aggravation with the Ravens in this game. It's like, I, I watched every play that the Washington football team ran on offense before this week once. And my take to you before the game and in other articles that I've written about this was they like to run a lot of slants and they like to run a lot of screens, especially in third and longs. Like that's what they're looking to do. They're trying to get their, their running backs out wide. So it's like when McLaren, and it wasn't like up till, I guess this was relatively 
like relatively early in the game, right? Still in like a quarter and a half into the game. So they haven't seen a ton of it. But if Gibson's lining out wide, and I think they had ran one screen before this already, I'm looking for them to run a screen at you in this situation. If I am Tyus Bowser and I see the right tackle cut me here, I'm not going to let him cut me. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to find where they're throwing the ball to, right? Um, and if I am, and if I'm the defensive lineman, if I'm Prindell McPhee, Prindell McPhee was literally the offense, the, the left guard just let him run by him and started running forward. He he didn't even put hands on him. And that's those instances where if Calais Campbell's on that side of the field and it's Calais Campbell's instead of McPhee, that very well may be another pass defense, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, some of this is the Ravens getting kind of caught out of position, but some of this is also just, to me, not being ready for the kind of things that you might expect. Like the, the Redskins weren't asking... The Washington football team wasn't asking Dwayne Haskins to line up five wide and drop with with a five man protection um, and throw the ball 10 to 15 yards down the field to get first downs. That's just like not something on film that you saw them doing before this week. Why would they expect it now? Um, and so but otherwise, yeah, I mean, great play call, great play design. Um, you see, you know, you see the offensive lineman kind of get off on that. The Ravens should absolutely be adding more screens to their game. They should absolutely be adding more running back passes to their game. I think we saw two early third and longs where Gus Edwards was the running back for the Ravens in this game in the first quarter. And I think that speaks to what you're talking about here, which is that you're not optimizing your best guys into positions that are going to optimize them to plays that are going to be successful. No one thinks that Lamar Jackson is going to throw the ball to Gus Edwards. At best, they think that he's going to be staying in the block. You're, you're kind of you know giving up the play from the shotgun from that perspective. If that's what you're going to do. You might as well run Dobbins and split him out wide or just give an extra wide receiver and not running a running back. So I, I, you know, I, I totally agree with you in the sense that this is the kind of play that the Ravens need to find a way to put in their playbook and find a way to build these concepts, whether it's, this could also be the Juvenet. That's what makes the Ravens so dangerous is that this doesn't have to be just to their, just to Dobbins, right? Like this was obvious to me that it was going to Gibson, but it doesn't just have to be those guys for the Ravens because they've got that much more talent than the Washington football team. Yeah. I think Duvernay is definitely someone who would be really good in a play call like this. We've seen what he can do with the ball in his hands. Um, not only on the return touchdown, but he's also had had a few plays where he's you know had a wide receiver screen that was effective. He had like a little um, jet motion where he's got the ball that was effective. I think I'd like to see him not only in those plays. I mean, I'd like to see him you know running more downfield routes as well. But he's someone I'd definitely like to see get more involved. And and like you said, you know Gus Edwards, we got we really like him as a running back. We think he's really good, um, but he's a little not as versatile, I would say. He doesn't really have the route running and hands that some of you would like to have as a three-down um, running back. So Dobbins is really is that guy who I think you can use um, in the screen game um, and, you know, and running routes as well. And something the Ravens have just not used very much. They don't use the screen game very often. And something that I think could be really effective in the offense if they wanted it to be. I'm curious on your take on the Ravens rhythm and we'll get into our underrated players of the game after this. That's, that's the situation room guys. And we're looking at the breakdown plays and see things that are similar. So if you see something that you want to talk with us about, feel free to tweet at us, let us know. We, we want to fold those kind of things in during the games. Um, let us know to be on the lookout for them. But, you know, before we get to the underrated players, I feel like the Ravens both in personnel and in play call have just not, not found their way into a rhythm this season um, on either side of the ball that they, the Ravens have gotten and the Ravens were so good at substituting last year. So don't get me wrong. Like substitutions were a huge part of the Ravens success. Ken has talked on film study podcasts about how the Ravens wore teams down with these long drives in the first half and the second half, their substitutions were the difference because they really wore you out by doing that. But it seems that the Ravens, Got a have gotten obsessed with it on both sides of the ball, and it just seems like nobody, to me, can get in a rhythm to kind of make an impact on the game these days because everybody's kind of running in and running out all the time. So I put a, I put a tweet out, I think it was near the end of the game, and I said something along the lines of, do the Ravens have too many running backs? And I think that might be the case. And we didn't even see Justice Hill in this game as a running back. But he, um, you know, he was active. I think he played some special teams. Um, but my issue is if you have kind of guys coming in and out and also guys who have different styles, I think all three of these running backs kind of, you know, do different things um, and they're used in different ways. 
So it is a little hard, I think, for the offensive rhythm to kind of keep keep going. And when it's a little herky-jerky with who you're bringing in and who you're bringing out. And I don't so much mind it at the wide receiver position at times because I think the wide receivers are a little bit more interchangeable. But with the running game, running game and the running backs in particular, I think the Ravens have specific concepts that they want to use. And by bringing in different players, it's kind of signaling to the defense that, you know, maybe they're doing something differently. And I don't think that's something that you want to necessarily do. I think you want to be able to bring in the same players or different players and still be able to run the same concepts. And it doesn't look like they're doing that right now. So that's my one concern is they're kind of signaling to the defense what they're doing. And I think that is causing issues. I also just like think what I mentioned earlier in the podcast that the offensive line is still a little bit shaky. The blocking from it can be shaky at times. We're seeing missed blocks from guys like Ricard. And sometimes it just all takes is one missed block for a play that could be, you know, a nice 10, 15, 20 yard gain that, that actually turns into like a loss or like no gain. And it's just one block that you need to make and it doesn't get made. And that's the difference. Yeah. Well, we'll see, you know, I, the Ravens get that excuse for a few more weeks <laughs> and then, and then, I, then it's out for me. I, I think it's a little exhausted for me even at this point. So, um, you know, I think they do get a little bit more time. COVID has made a big difference. We've seen it impact the rookies. But, um, you know, this was a pretty easy game that they had in hand the whole way, like you said. And I need to turn my 105.7, the fan, down a little bit. Um, you know, especially since we're out here in, in California. <laughs> so let's talk about our underrated players of the game. You know, we came into this game talking a lot about the 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 Washington football team's defensive line in particular um, and how those four guys, even without Ioannidis and Chase Young, were still very good. Um, and I think in response to that, we saw a pretty good game from the Ravens offensive line, considering that Ronnie Stanley wasn't playing. You had Orlando Brown playing out of position and DJ Fluker playing right tackle. Um, and in particular, you know, we talked a little bit about Marshall Yonda's loss, but Tyree Phillips is strung together a pretty decent set of games at least. And, you know, I'd have to go back and watch him even more closely, but Jonathan Allen and Ryan Kerrigan were names that we did not hear called in this game really at all. I think Allen might've had one tackle that I remember Kerrigan's name. I don't even recall them calling out. Um, and I think the Tyree Phillips has really shown why the Ravens thought that they saw something in him at guard and were willing to let him start. And if he continues to play at this level, I do, and this is talking, we're, we're talking about the good players here. I do think the Matt Skura needs a good look on tape and the Ravens need to decide whether or not he is kind of a weak link right now. But Tyree Phillips is not part of the weak link on the offensive line. He very much was in week one. If you go back and look in week one, he was terrible. And so his growth from week one to week four shows two things to me. One, the Ravens' ability to draft and identify talent on the offensive line in the third and fourth rounds. They've been better than I think any team in the league at that. Um, but two, also the Ravens, like, like Jody Alessandro is a good offensive line coach and he gets these guys together. And, and that gives, that gives me promise for improving some of those blocks and some of those things you're talking about for the rest of this year. Yeah, I agree. I think Phillips has, has come a long way. It was in these first four weeks of the season. He's like, you said, he was really poor in the first week. I thought, um, but he's just gotten better and better and he's built on his, his play. And I think he's. Maybe better pass blocker than run blocker at this point, but I think he has a size. Uh, I think it's more of a technique thing with the, with the run blocking that's going to come eventually. Um, he just needs to get comfortable in what the Ravens want to do up front. There's a lot of things that they do in terms of their their different run run schemes. So I think with time, he's going to turn into another really good offensive lineman for the Ravens. And then I also chose an offensive lineman for the underrated player, and mine was Fluger. And I thought DJ Fluger came in and played really well. Um, you know, there was... Some talk that he was starting left tackle, but obviously they ended up swapping Orlando Brown to the left side. And I also thought Brown played well on the left side. Um, but Fluker came in, you know, he had a really bad week one where he had to come in for Stanley. But he looked fantastic. He was really good in the run game. He was finishing blocks. He was pushing people down like five yards down the field. I thought he played fantastic. And like you said, he was not letting up pressure. Um, and honestly, like, I was a little bit surprised in a, in a positive way with how well Fluker played. And I feel better about the Ravens offensive line, seeing him come in and, and him and Phillips playing that well. Um, like you said, center might be something that could be looked at, but I think Scarrow's, you know, been okay. He hasn't, he hasn't been great. I don't think he has the mobility he used to have, but I think that 
overall, the line is is better than what I was expecting it to be. They're better in pass blocking, I think, than run blocking right now. But I think as the season moves forward, the run blocking will get there. And I think that's going to really make it, you know, a, a formidable unit. Yeah. I, the only other underrated guy I'd, I'd say, and, and he's underrated in no way by his stature, would be Marcus Peters. Um, quietly shut down his feet, his side of the field. No, barely any targets. Any of them that were were balls that were thrown out of bounds. He he had a really good game on on kind of the backside or kind of forcing the other team to their side of the ball. And it's hard to pick him as one of the stars of the Ravens as as one of those guys. Um, but I thought he deserved mention in that in that category for this game too. So guys, that's the situation room. That's how we're going to try and break these games down. Take a look at some of these plays. Um, check us out on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. Um, you know, we want to figure out ways to break these down. If there are plays or combinations of plays or combinations of blocks or combinations of pass rushes that you guys see that are out there, let us know about them. We're trying to grab these screen grabs and, and get them up there before the all 22 comes out. Um, we'll, we'll kind of reply to some of these videos on Twitter once we get the all 22 so you can see them. Like I mentioned about these special team snaps. Um, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we're hoping to make the Situation Room a, a thing that you tune into every week. Welcome to the Situation Room. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.